0: 1689 Saturday. Uh, you there, Nick? Uh, All right. We're going to do this uh, thing. I'm yeah, here, brother. All right. Stay with me. All right. 1689. I feel like just going crazy and annihilating something. do you like that segue?
1: yeah i'm burning for it
0: (laughs) oh man so uh we've got a little bit of a a lag on our wi-fi but we're going to try and make this happen um we want to talk about annihilationism um you've done some work on that right nick so you're going to take us through it that's
1: right so we're uh, looking at chapter 32 paragraph two that's the place to go if you want to
0: all right. Chapter where, where, where? Tell me. Whoa, 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 whoa. So is that the last judgment or what are we doing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, chapter 32, the last judgment, and then All we're
1: right. in paragraph two.
0: Chapter 32, <clears throat> paragraph two. I hope you're turning there right now. If you're driving, stop driving, pull over. <laughs> get your get your 1689 out or scroll if, down. if you are um, reformed Baptist then um you know you should have it memorized so that's fine you just uh, refer to it in your memory right now um yeah okay so chapter 32 I am there let's do this
1: cool so paragraph two shall I read it out yeah do it all right so let's talking about the purpose it
0: begins by
1: talking about the purpose of Judgment day and it says, The end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of His mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect, elect, and of His justice in the eternal damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. For then, and now it's talking about their destinies, Mm -hmm. shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and glory with everlasting rewards in the presence of the Lord. But the wicked, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, shall be cast aside into everlasting torments and punished with everlasting distraction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power.
0: Hmm. So
1: there you have it pretty explicit, mm-hmm. everlasting torments.
0: Yeah. It is interesting how they made it so explicit in the confession. I mean, it's an important thing to the framers. Yeah. Yeah. No.
1: They spelled it out. And, of course, there's the parody between uh, everlasting rewards and everlasting torment. Um, yeah. There's life and death, and both are eternal states of conscious existence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing I'm thinking, just um, obviously I'm aware of John Stott and his. Firstly, let's talk about what is annihilationism, Nick?
1: Okay, so annihilationism... Is a belief. Um, it's most often held by cults like the Seventh Day Adventists, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, many liberal theologians, and more recent evangelicals like John Stott. Mm-hmm. It's the belief that God punishes sin by annihilating the sinner from existence, and not by an eternal punishment in a lake of fire.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, when I, you know, I'm just thinking about this. Um this old, uh, you know, 1689 articulation of it. And I'm thinking they probably weren't going up against any form of annihilationism. It was probably just to pull it back from purgatory. Or what do you think was going on historically there? Um, so the Sassanians,
1: um would have been the liberals of the day, but right. I'm not aware of the fact whether they denied everlasting torments.
0: Yeah, Interesting. So yeah, perhaps so just... there was
1: something in the Sassanian doctrine because you know on the one you had the Armenians, the Catholics, and the the Sassanians and the Anabaptists mm. are your four typical. Uh... Opponents mm-hmm. that the confession is aimed at.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so perhaps the Sicilians, but yeah. I'm, I'm not aware of what they believed.
0: Yeah, interesting, because they come at it hard. And so, if nothing else, it just shows, okay, this is an important point of orthodoxy. Uh, even if they weren't reacting against anything of the day, uh, that would be quite incredible as well. So, um, but certainly, it's become important mm. because it has um, it's it has been attacked, as you've said. <laughs> By, certainly by cults uh, and uh, by liberals yeah. and uh, yeah most recently um most dangerously maybe the um the idea um held by john stott and just i suppose for most of uh the, the people listening to this if if you know if you if they're ever going to toy around with it it's going to probably come from that angle um you know they're going to be taking a a bible teacher and i know it's sort of it's it's creeping in it's got a bit of a en vogue status at the moment and um of course doctrine the doctrine of everlasting punishment is 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 difficult right i mean it's um so you can obviously appreciate or empathize with those who uh wanting to are wanting to sort of figure out a way to change something but it is an important doctrine and we want to talk about why and uh you know beyond the actual exegesis of the text there there are theological ideas involved as well, so yeah um what do you what are some yeah. of your thoughts on it
1: well um, I'm just thinking of some of the more uh the emergent church as well, so i'm thinking uh, of Rob yeah. bell Rob
0: bell uh totally.
1: Brian Mclaren these are some more of the uh recent popular voices. So, people may have not have encountered this at a theological level by consulting textbooks or books written by Stott, but they may have read things like The Shack mm. or come across mm. attitudes that are were dominant in the emergent church. Mm. Um, so, let me read you a quote from Brian McLaren, because I think this is, often it's, it's an emotional argument that's waged. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me read you the quote. And I want you to Feel the power of the Mm -hmm. Um, emotional argument, because this is often what moves a person away from the traditional belief towards annihilationism. So Brian McLaren says this, Mm -hmm. if a human father decided to throw his child in a fireplace for just 10 seconds as punishment for disobedience, we wouldn't fault the father simply for being unsentimental we would say that such beho- behavior was unholy, an act of torture in violation of our most fundamental sense of justice. Any definition of justice and holiness that involves being unsatisfied unless the imperfect are suffering eternal agony seems to many of us as unworthy of a human being. And if so, how much more unworthy of God, whose justice must be better than our own.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's it. And so they've got this baseline assumption. So that, 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 that's what gets to people, isn't it? Yeah, the emotion. I mean, this, there's
1: all sorts of assumptions. Wrong. I mean, there are wrong assumptions throughout McLaren's um, the statement. There. I mean, he's assuming that sinning against God is as serious as uh, sinning against a human being. Mm. He's assuming that every person who'll be punished is already a child or a son of the father and not a criminal.
0: And, and, and even... he assumes
1: that our human sense of justice is able to, yeah, to judge divine justice. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. I was just going to say it's just uh you know beyond a criminal I mean you've got a sworn enemy a usurper of the throne uh you know a and one who's made an alliance with Satan I mean essentially we're you know you take his uh very quotation there and you swap it with like what we have a natural even in our sinful state, have a natural disgust for, I suppose. If you think about like pedophilia or some, you know, mass murderer kind of crazy situation, uh, there, we all have a feeling. The highest
1: treason.
0: Yeah. The highest treason. Something where some gross like Hitler or something, you know, uh, you basically, you, you wouldn't have a lot of problem throwing him in the fire. You know what I mean? And, uh, it's it's you know why why because he did the bad stuff that he did and he deserves the punishment that and we can see that and yes it's a real a real trick or sleight of hand there to to sort of make that assumption and say we're all you know we're all already these innocent little babies you know and um, you know already God's children when when we're not we're all Hitlers exactly. in that sense yeah exactly mm. so yeah
1: there's a lot of assumptions in the emotive case and. I mean, I think there is a difficulty for Christians as they wrestle with this. I mean, mm-hmm. there are two emotions they got to juggle. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, they need to agree with God's justice and glorify God for His perfect justice on judgment. Day, mm-hmm. day, Recognizing that we're going to be standing with the angels crying out, Hallelujah, as people are thrown into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, they've got to be weeping with Christ over Jerusalem and with Paul in Romans 9 verse 1 to 3 and 10 verse 1 you know, willing to swap our own salvations for the sake of those who we know are recalcitrant and hardened and are just running away from God. Mm. So, yeah, it is a juggle, Mm -hmm. and uh, we have to try and balance these two emotions. Some people are all about being so pro-hell they have no compassion.
0: Yes, totally. But others are so
1: compassionate that they begin to question God's justice.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And um, I think perhaps, you know, it's, it's sort of, you, you lead, you very quickly run into troubled waters. Um, uh, if, if you start thinking about how you might feel on that day or something, you know, when, when, uh, the great judgment happens and, uh, you know, often this comes into play with loved ones or, you know, people that you, you're trying to reach right now, like what, you know, you're vexed if, if what happens if they don't receive the gospel and, I, you know the, the fundamental problem with any of that kind of reasoning is that we're just unable to see beyond our own state at the moment. You know, to begin with, let alone the inconceivable justice of God. What we do have now, though, yeah. and what we must look at now, and the thing that we we do have access to, so to speak, um, is not that that future state where all sin is removed from our hearts, but but uh, we we see perfect justice revealed in the cross. We see love. We see God, you know, truly bending over backwards in every conceivable way. Um, God shows us who he is and what he's like through those ways so that we don't have to worry about it, you know, so much as, as, as we can just simply trust on him based on things he has revealed that we can grasp um, at some level, at least. Um, So, you know, I, I always try and steer people away from, you know, any, any sort of line of thinking along, you know, you just don't know. Uh, how you'll feel <laughs> you, you might have had little moments little flickers of 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 what it's like to to just love god for a second but even that was so marred with all of its unbelief and you know confusion and you, you just didn't, don't even have a sense of justice though you think you do um and and yeah it'll it'll be so radically different yeah. it reminds me a little bit of the whole will we be ha- married in heaven thing you know uh It's just, again, different, we're on different categories there, you know.
1: Can you imagine life Life without life? Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm not (laughs) going to.
0: Totally.
1: So, another phrase that people might come across is conditional mortality. Mm, That's the one This is often associated with annihilationism. Yes. What does that mean? Yep. So, this is the belief that uh, the human, so the human soul was not created with an, uh, with the human being was not created with an undying soul. Uh-huh. But only receives an eternal life when they get saved.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So unless you get saved, life is con uh, it's, your life is mortal. So conditional mortality, conditional upon getting saved, you will be mortal.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cool. So uh,
1: I mean, here are here are, you know just just wanting to dig a little bit deeper into annihilationism. Here are. Sort of the five main arguments that they use. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's lay these out and then maybe we can look at some scriptures just to see how to respond. Cool. So, in the first instance, they say that uh, the words destroy, perish, and destruction indicate a fire that incinerates and annihilates, but not an enduring fire. So, that's Mm. the first thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Secondly, they take up the word forever and they say that because it can be translated as either eternal or as long as an age, it doesn't support eternal torment. Mm-hmm. So there's a translation issue in that one. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, they feel that a mortal life cannot merit eternal punishment. So there's the whole question Is it justice. Is it just that it torment? Right. And then, fourthly, the presence in sinners of hell forever will be a fly in the ointment of God's victory.
0: Right. So, right.
1: you know, will God be most glorified in an ongoing eternal conscious torment? It's, it seems to be a fly in the ointment. Yeah. And fifthly, a God of love would never cast anyone into eternal torment.
0: Yeah. Okay. That pretty much wraps it up. So, yeah. what do we so, say about that? So, I mean, those, those
1: are sort of the main ideas. You? Yeah. Well, I mean, what we would say is, well, what does the Bible say? <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. uh, I think I think in many ways, ways we can say, I, I feel with you the emotional impact. Uh, mm. I, I'm not a stone. I'm not a robot. I'm not an automaton. I feel the, the absolute shocking terror of what, what it would be like to even contemplate the possibility of going into eternal into fire. Mm. But I don't believe it because I agree with it or that I'm emotionally attached to it. I believe it because this is what the Bible ultimately teaches. Mm. And so it has to be a case of submitting to the Bible's authority rather than my, my reason.
0: Hmm. yeah totally i mean yeah yeah and so, know a lot uh, of suppose... the, sorry a lot of the exegetical debates come in at that point you know and again you're probably gonna uh, you know for for people listening to this they're probably going to be most impacted by people like like less so um brian mclaren and rob bell and more john Stutt. and i suppose that usually revolves around you know uh, a few texts and uh what they could mean and what they perhaps have have been um, supposedly you know they've uh, been understood in a wrong way it's not to, it's not necessarily talking about eternity but again annihilation is the big uh, the operative operative word that often comes up um, that that god is yeah. you know that the actual punishment is going to be destruction annihilation after a, a certain amount of punishment rather than eternal
1: yeah, there's a famous book by Edward Fudge called "Fire That Consumes," mm-hmm. and that's that's the argument in a nutshell.
0: Right. Yeah. There we go.
1: And so let's let's maybe look at a few texts then. Okay. Cool. Uh, Matthew twenty five, forty one, and forty six are probably the best place to begin. Hmm. Uh, let me read them. Cool. So forty one. Then he will say to those on his left, "Depart from me." You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm -hmm. And then verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So, I mean, there are two things you can draw out of those verses that that help us to understand that punishment will be eternal. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Firstly, we get the same, the the goats will get the same punishment um, as that prepared for the devil and his angels.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there we go. And
1: and revelation. Yeah, Revelation twenty ten says the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulphur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever.
0: Yeah, and there's it's that's uh, there's hard you can't mistake that you know that's uh, as clear as a whistle. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah, and then verse forty six uh, provides an essential contrast between eternal life eternal punishment. How Mm -hmm. long is eternal life? Well, it's eternal. Mm -hmm. Then how long will eternal punishment be? You know, if we're going to read it in parity, yeah, the same thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Cool. What else? All right, so um,
1: the word age. Let's let's, uh, talk a little bit about the translation of the word age. Yeah. Um, Does it mean eternity? Does it mean age? Uh, One of the things I discovered in just looking this up was... um, this is the same word that is used, and, and we, we admit the possibility. We must admit the possibility. Words have uh, semantic domains. Mm-hmm. They're not locked in concrete. They can be different things in different contexts. But um, the way that it's used in Scripture is it is you, you, you need to find evidence to the contrary against eternity to mm-hmm. try and make it mean age. And, and here are probably the strongest examples so this same word is used to describe God's eternity in one Timothy one seventeen, mm-hmm. Christ's eternity in Revelation one verse eighteen, and the Spirit's eternity in Hebrew nine fourteen.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: the, the eternity of the Trinity. Yeah, is is that's what is taught by this one word?
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that's I hadn't considered that angle. That's amazing. Yeah you want to make sure to steer them onto that word's usage when in reference to the Trinity. Is that right?
1: Yeah, because basically what they do is they say, look, this word uh, can mean age, therefore let's make it mean age. And I'm saying, well, the overwhelming use of it is to describe eternity. And here are some great Trinitarian examples to prove that.
0: Yeah, totally. Right. And you don't want to be messing around with the Trinity at that level. So, all right. So that works. Good. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, So you you
1: can't automatically default to age just because it could mean age.
0: Because it could mean. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, because I mean, it almost reminds me of the Jehovah's Witness. Um, you know, they they want to sort of you know worship could mean obedience, and you know, and 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 sort of every word has a semantic domain in that sense. But you really have to look at at uh, its normal usage, and you know, otherwise it, 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 you can make anything say anything at all if you just want to pick a random word in the semantic domain. Yeah, definitely, totally.
1: All right, so uh, another text would be uh, Revelation 14, 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that, uh, talking about judgment, it's one of the, one of the judgment pictures in Revelation. Mm-hmm. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, mm-hmm. and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Mm. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its
0: name. Yeah, and it's it's because I know a lot of people would want to take that and go, okay, well, it doesn't mean like forever and ever and ever and ever. It just means like they're going they're going to (laughs) actually be tormented, you know, for a very very long time. And then when that's done. That you know they will they will end, but the the problem with that is that they, it seems to you know you can't get out of the idea that they will find rest if it ends. You know, now, I realize it's not going to be ever be heavenly rest, but but the rest. I mean, it seems to indicate there's no rest at all. You know, and um, you know that to, to yeah. cease to be no Sabbath rest. Right, there's no Sabbath rest certainly, but um, you know even more than that, it seems to indicate that there's no rest from agony and suffering you know and so you you know even just to be annihilated would bring about a kind of rest or an end to that and and it that would go directly against what that text is saying um if i've understood it correctly
1: yeah 100 percent. i mean it's it's a very powerful verse i mean a couple a couple of things really strengthen the impression these verses make the one is Um, The fact that talks about the full strength of God's anger. Mm. So here is this is the undiluted wrath of God. Mm. So we know this is the judgment day wrath. You know, it's the same cup that Jesus drank from on the the Garden of Gethsemane. That sort of cup. Okay, and then the nature of God's wrath is described as He'll be tormented with fire and sulphur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And I mean, it is the Book of Revelation. This is symbolic language, but Mm. fire and brimstone, or fire and sulphur. Is a, is a traditional symbol of God's wrath from the Old Testament. Whether mm. it's Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. uh, Isaiah 30, Job 18, it's, it's all over the place. It's it's the picture of the intensity and the force of a, of a volcano overcoming you in, in judgment. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the the added punishment, and this is this is one of the interesting aspects. Before the holy angels and before the Lamb, so there's this public shame and exposure. Element that's added, yeah. so it's not just you're winked out of existence. There's this sense of being exposed in the, and you know, before the holy ones.
0: Mm.
1: And yeah. again, the combination of fire and sulphur. This is the same punishment that we see uh, repeated with the beast, the false prophet, and Satan in Revelation nineteen, twenty, and twenty ten. Um, it's not a different judgment; it's the same judgment. And if you if you hook up all those same
0: Judgments together. That whole thing, yeah, you know, the the whole um, connection to Satan's judgment is huge. Because I do know, like, even as you're talking there, um, even your your analogy to, you know, being overcome by a volcano, many annihilationists would say, yeah, that's true. And that's why they're annihilated, you know, at some level. They're, the smoke of their torment is not, is not their ongoing eternal torment, but rather their destruction uh, that has, you know, been achieved and accomplished. And um, and and you know you, you almost I mean it, together with the symbolic language of Revelation you know you might feel like, okay wait they have a point, but yeah when you are connected to what's going to happen to the devil and his angels I mean you know th- there's no way that's just uh, you've got the forever and ever and ever thing and that does mean something more than just symbolic <laughs> you know you, th- there's something very clear there and an important connection. The other thing I don't know if you were going to go yeah. But um, just something to say as well. Um, just before I forget, that one of the big things for me with annihilationism is I think it reduces the the power of or, or the glory or just the mammoth nature of the atonement. Because w- what you have is you know Jesus really receiving hell in substitution for us, and um, and you yeah. if you lessen the. You know the reality of what he received. I mean, that's a serious thing to do. You know, you don't want to be guilty of that. You don't want to say you don't want to say that Christ has received less than he actually has um, for you. you. If you deserve eternal hell and he took that for you, then um, you know to, to diminish that punishment that he took for you is a bad thing. And um, I know a lot of people would actually use that as a oh well there yeah, we go because you know? yeah people, you know Christ didn't suffer eternally on the cross so neither will we uh, neither will um, you know people in hell. But you know that's that it's like apples and oranges, and they've got a, a number of different answers to that that don't even um, touch on this issue. So you know, I think um, just just I wouldn't want yeah. to lessen the the, the the power and force of God's fury unleashed upon the cross, which really is the glory of the cross, Amen. showing what He did for us, the love of the cross, and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, the point is often made that you know how can a child welcome martyrdom and and die in peace and. Mm. serenity and jesus seems like such a crybaby but Mm -hmm. that's that's only because there was a hidden dimension to to the torments and sufferings that he went through oh man that do make it a hell-sized judgment Mm. that do make it something incredibly significant that's much more than just a normal death that's going on
0: oh yeah totally man and you know maybe maybe it's always good to kind of leave it at the cross i know we're kind of coming up to our time but um the the other thing to say is just uh, you know it it's it, it, I know I'm very just aware I I feel this way whenever I talk about hell it's very easy to sound theological and flippant you know uh, and and just you know cold as as you mentioned before I mean at some level you do have to be analytical as you're looking at these things but I just I'm always concerned I don't want to sound like oh there we go that's hell sorted that out I mean it is a terrifying. Terrifying doctrine, and oh. and for me personally, the thing yeah. that made me—I—I I feel like I've got a very cold, hard heart for the most of my life, you know. But but the thing that brought me to my knees is the the thought that I was going to this place, whatever this is, and that that Jesus actually took this for me—not not some lessened form, but but this full eternal pouring out of God's wrath that I, that I would have had to endure. Uh, he took that for me. Like I know I deserve it, and mm-hmm. he took it. I mean, that's that's really the you know that's the that's the devotional reality in this. But at the same time, the terror of it all, and, and just I don't think there's a lot of ways to, in the same way, come to an appreciation of the cross, but by understanding the terrors of hell. I mean, uh, you know, th- this is uh, yeah. you know how <clears throat> it's just it's a it's an unbelievable thought right there. Or well, maybe unbelievable is not the right word, but just a just a completely overwhelming thought.
1: Yeah, the infinite horror of sin yeah. and the infinite sufferings of Christ are mm-hmm. mirrored in the infinite torments of hell.
0: Yeah, amen. Just on that point, closing off, just in case anyone's wondering about this, why did uh, Jesus not have to suffer eternally?
1: Uh, there's, I mean, there's a multitude of questions there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them is, he had to be divine in order to suffer divine wrath. Uh-huh. Another answer is well, it was the quality of the divine man who was offering himself to pay a god-sized debt, mm-hmm. which makes it sufficient. Um, it's yeah. So we I, we're delving into mysteries there. We, mm-hmm. we can't know, but we know that God Jesus needed to be both God and man, mm-hmm. and that there is there is some necessity connected with his suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally, and I think but one of the things can't plummet. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I. Um, that always, uh, it's sort of two, two, two ideas struck me on that one, um, and they've stayed with me. Uh, the first is that you've got a God-man, so th- there is in that very hypostatic union the infinite and the finite. Um, and so if you just had to think about in terms of, you know, uh, bearing an infinite amount of wrath in a finite amount of time. I mean, it works with the hypostatic union. It's not like you're on a different paradigm at that point. It's totally mysterious, but it's just something to think about. The other thought, and perhaps this is a little bit more, um, you know, in our wheelhouse, is that you know we mustn't make the mistake of assuming that when people, you know, die and stand before God in judgment, that they'll be regenerate. Um, you know, they're going to compound their sin at that point, uh, and all throughout eternity. Um, for any bit of uh, punishment they receive, they'll they'll only, you know. Uh, hate God more and compound whatever sins existed of course with Jesus that wasn't the case and he could bear the full amount of you know wrath without compounding that sin and uh continuing on in a cycle for eternity in that sense so there are a lot of thoughts like that that we just want to, they don't really solve the problem but they they um they allow some delimiters I suppose yeah 100%. yeah 100%. totally well cool man let's uh we're running out of time on this one but let's leave it at that very helpful thank you Nick appreciate it Hey, Roman. Cool, Cheers. Cheers, Brian. And uh, don't forget to go to church, y'all. See you next week.